Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Well, today, I have one of Hollywood's true originals, the magnificent Ewan McGregor. From Trainspotting to Moulin Rouge to Star Wars, and let's not forget about Beginners and Fargo, he has made some of the most dynamic, daring, and distinct career choices of any actor of his generation. And now, he's delivered yet another superb performance as Halston, the epic take-no-prisoners designer in the limited series Halston. It's delicious. It's all guts and glamour, high society in New York, and the darker side of success and ambition. So here's my favorite Scotsman, the one and only Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor, it is so nice to see you. It's been too long. Um, I can't wait to talk to you about Halston, but I have to talk to you about The Long Way Up because that project got my got me and my two boys through COVID. Like in the darkest moment of COVID, that came on. And we watched like the four episodes in one, four episodes and binged in one day, which you know is long. Those episodes are like an hour. Riveted. And uh, obviously we finished it out and then we watched part of it again. I loved it. I love that whole series. And I want to say thank you for it. Oh, thank you. Well, it, it, it was the most amazing thing to do after such a long time you know charlie and i did our first trip in 2004 um from london to new york and then we uh, east riding east and then we rode down from the top of scotland to cape town in 2007 and then so there was a long 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 gap and um i moved to the states and charlie's in london and we just uh, you know we both got we're busy with um our lives and uh, well, yeah, we never got another trip together till now. And then it happened just before lockdown. Like we got it in just before the whole world changed. And um, it was so lucky that we did. I mean, not only for us, but you know, for the audience and that it gave people something to watch while we were all locked down, which was about travel and about, you know, the oh. kind of trip that we just couldn't do. We can't do that. Just, you can't do that just now, not unless you're insane. It was so good. I just also loved all your, like, you just hold your phone up and talk to the camera. It's all, you know, you remember why you are a movie star, but I love the way you just brought all the audiences in. And and for you, other than selfishly, you get to ride these really cool uh, yeah. electric motorcycles and the whole trip was, I, I was so jealous. Just the production and the logistics of it are, are thrilling um, to watch as well as the scenery and what you guys are doing. But for you, What's the bigger picture for you in doing this series? Like, what do you get from it on a on another level other than just the physical joy of riding your bike? I think there's a, there's several things about it. There's something really uh, soothing about the moving forward every day. I don't know. Some for me, I just I like the relentless sort of moving in 
because I can go ride my bike anywhere. I could go and ride my bike in a big loop and come back home again. But it's something not. It's something different from that. It's about a destination being very far away and um, not knowing what's going to happen at any given moment. It gives me a lot of time to sit and and reflect, and which I think we don't have time to do in our modern lives at all. So, if you're riding, if you're riding two two hundred fifty miles a day, three hundred miles a day. That's a lot of time just sitting on the bike in your helmet with your own thoughts. And uh, there's something quite interesting about that. Like things come back to me that are things I haven't considered for years, things that happened at school or in relationships or at work or just things that bubble up in your mind. You go, oh, God, I haven't thought about that for that was a long time ago. And, and it, they're reconsidered and then they go away again. And I think um, so I think it's quite good for that, for sort of, time it gives you time I, I really like the adventure of it i like the thrill of when things go wrong you know i quite like mm-hmm. there's, there's, there, there are people in our team who are less good at that but i, I quite like that <laughs> bit because i think well we're gonna we'll make it you know what's the worst that can happen we might have to go backwards or retrace our steps a bit or something but um i quite like that part of it it's not often in our daily lives also that we can you know when we were in mongolia in in the first trip we we were riding on this terrain where there's no roads, it's just tracks. And we had a paper map that showed that showed roads, but it was all in it was all written in Mongolian and we, we couldn't read Mongolian. So we could but we could see roughly where the lakes were. And then we had a GPS that didn't have any roads on it that had lakes. So we're trying to trying to figure out where we are using a paper map and a GPS that sort of somewhat worked. And then the locals, you know, using these, you know, speaking to amazing people you come come across on the trail. And Mongolia, people that would draw pictures, like they drew, they drew three mountains. And then on the third mountain, there were three trees. And they say, turn right at the trees. And we're like, what? No. But then we rode and there was three hills. And then there was a hill with three trees on it. We're like, oh, yeah, they totally got it right. You know? Oh, it's so great. So, um, so your responsibilities are very small. You need to have fuel, whether it's electricity in this latest case or gasoline in the earlier trips, uh, some food shelter, which you carry on the bike in the form of a tent, and then a vague idea of where you want to go. And that's sort of it, you know. So I like that. I like that sort of, it just suits me, the travel of it all. Well, I would say to our listeners that aren't familiar with um, this, it's some of Ewan's finest work, actually, just being Ewan. Uh, (laughs) Long way around, long way up long way down right yeah it's it's fantastic so i would encourage everybody that's listening that's interested to actually watch and just start with the the most recent one i i loved it um all right so nominated again for an emmy here we come ewan mcgregor as halston uh tour de force performance loved from beginning to end i've got a lot of questions for you obviously but the first one is what was it about this man halston that made you so curious enough to want to play him and transform into you know being him uh, physically yeah. obviously and 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 doing this series well it was uh, dan minahan our director he directed all the episodes met me and i'd never met dan before i was sort of i guess i must have been between films or i didn't know what was next or Anyway, I had a group of me to my agents set up one of those like afternoons. You go in and you meet a few people and they sort of pitch their ideas to you. Were know, you in a board. suit? Like, what do you what do you wear to that? Are you like motorcycle no. you in or what do you yeah, wear? Yeah, just rode in. Totally yeah. just ride in. I'm lucky. I'm lucky I don't have to ever, I don't ever wear a suit really, other than at sort of 
maybe award shows and stuff like that. I don't have to do in my bit in my work life. I don't ever have to wear one, which is uh, which is nice. But um, so I just went in, and I and I met a few different directors for different things. But uh, Dan, it's just he absolutely. Gra- I didn't know anything about Halston, nothing at all. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know the st- his story. But he showed me these amazing photographs of him, and there were lots of photographs, amazing photographs of Halston. But the, he just there was something about the man in these photographs. I just felt like I was intrigued by. It. You could see there was there was something glamorous and grand about him, but at the same time, there's something kind of steely behind his eyes, and I just was intrigued. And the more Dan told me about how famous he was and how um, iconic he'd been and how successful he was. And I, the more I was like, why, why don't I know this name? Why don't I know who this is, you know? And um, so that was intriguing. And then I came home from that meeting and just started looking him up and, you know, watching interviews with him on YouTube and stuff. And just fascinated by this man. Like he was quite an interesting character um he's an amazing voice and he was just fabulous you know there was, you could just feel it coming off the screen of, of how interesting he was so that that was it really and then the more i delved into him reading the book simply halston and you know I, I i was lucky to go and meet some of his friends and some of his colleagues and um i just there's something very complex and intriguing about him he's mysterious and uh loyal and fun-loving and terrifying and um so he was so i liked that i think if as an actor you don't you know there's there's a lot to play with there you know mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of gray area in terms of getting into him was it what got you there and then everything else cascaded so was it the voice was it the hair was it the way he smoked a cigarette what was like kind of the your building blocks into um you and becoming halston yeah it took me a while to feel confident at that as him or and i suppose that you know, the end of our first episode, the first episode's called Becoming Halston, and there was a certain amount of curating of his own character that, that he did. And, and I think maybe in our script, slightly heavy-handedly, but th- th- there was something about the end of that episode where, he, where Halston finds Halston, you know. He's had a sh- coming out of the shower, he's smoking a cigarette in the mirror while he's combing his hair back and putting bronzer on, and then the sunglasses, and then the, tur- the black turtleneck and the glasses, and the... And that when when we got to that point of the filming where he becomes the Halston that we, or in my case, didn't know, but that we know and love, um, I, obviously that's easier to feel like Halston. That earlier stuff in the six the the sixties, the when he was a Milner, and um, you know, going into the late sixties, early seventies, that that's that was probably slight, I felt maybe a little bit more at sea there because I wasn't sure if I had him right. Whereas most of the footage you can watch of Halston and the interviews, of course, are later when he has got the slick back hair and the the polo neck. A tur- you call them turtlenecks, don't you? Yeah, turtlenecks. Turtlenecks, yeah, turtlenecks. Well, that's that's uh, a polo neck, is what you would say. And yeah, why do we call them polo necks? Or jumpers? It's it's a form of a jumper. It is a kind of jumper. Yeah. 
<laughs> we could go down a whole other uh, conversation yeah. about that. But <laughs> but the Halston character, obviously, g- kind of growing up in Ed Vanity Fair as I did, uh, you know, coming of age at that time. Of Halston, Calvin Klein, you know, Halston was already gone by the time I I started. Yeah. I died in 1990. I started uh, early in in 1990, actually. So I think about. Calvin Klein, you know, just that fashion industry, Ralph Lauren, all these like name brands, they were synonymous with their with, with what they were selling. It was so interesting to me about Halston is he was such a maverick in the way that he was so confident, confident in his choices, confident in his sexuality, confident in everything. Um, he seemed almost fearless, but at the same time, all of that it's no one's above insecurity and he wasn't above insecurity either. All yeah. that insecurity is bubbling underneath. And it's almost like he's fighting it with, with his, with his decisiveness at the same time. I found that really fascinating. And I'd yeah. like for you to like kind of speak to, to capturing that balance because I feel like you did, you know, capture the, that complex tango that we, yeah. you know, we as human beings do with ourselves, but he did on a, you know, on a massive global scale for what yes. he was doing, you know? There is something in, intriguing about that. I know that that sense of self is uh, very attractive and interesting. I think of that. There's the that black and white movie about Bob Dylan's tour in England in '68 or something, and you see him being interviewed by the English press, and you go, "Oh my God, this he's so self-possessed. He's so mm-hmm. confident as like a 19-year-old." And I think Halston had that as well, and he had that even when he was making. You know, he came to New York through Chicago um, and he was in Chicago because he had a he had a lover in a ho- in, who had a salon in a, in a very shishi hotel. And this is when he was a very young man. And um, he and this man who ro- who run the salon gave him some space in the salon to make hats. And he became all the ladies traveling through America would all the, the upper crust of the ladies traveling would come through this hotel in Chicago and they would, everyone was, oh, you've got to go and see Halston and see it, get, get a hat made for you. And they would go down there and he was sort of, even then as this young guy from the countryside, you know, was making these incredible hats. And he just was, I think even then, totally assured of himself. And there's something about the talent that I think is, that feeds that, right? I think you can be, you can be, insecure in yourself but there's something about his belief in his own abilities and his talent that was rock, that he never questioned you know that he was rock solid on and i and i i think that's maybe the two sides of it that he was driven by his sort of creative talent and also his taste and that that gave him that sense of absolute assuredness maybe mm-hmm. he was right you know he's he was very talented he was very maybe people talked about the way he would drape that Nobody had seen that before. You know, he was that he could take a piece of cloth and turn it into a beautiful dress like nobody else could, you know. And maybe that's what happened later on as he got further and further away from that. I don't know. I don't really know. But um, but I love that play. And I and it's interesting to bring that up because one of the things I watched the most of when I was getting ready for him was this great interview. He did this great interview with Donahue. And it was in this late, it was in the, you know, when he was full on Halston Halston, he was very famous at this point. And he went back and he, and he, and the studio was full of middle American ladies and they would have been like his people where he came from, you know, and there he is, he's sitting on the, they make a sort of catwalk through Donahue's studio. 
and Donahue's wandering around with his microphone and Halston's just sitting in this armchair smoking, <laughs> surrounded by these great ladies who are asking questions about his... And every now and again, one of his models will walk through wearing something fabulous and they'll all ask questions about it. And he's, he's just happy. He just becomes so comfortable with these ladies. He becomes really at home and you see him... And I saw a side to him that I didn't see in an awful lot of other interviews with him and such, but he became really comfortable. But at the same time, when Donahue would ask him, there was always that slight paranoia, am I being made fun of? Or So there was, on the one hand, this great relaxed comfort, confidence. And then on the other hand, he was always sort of on edge, like in case, in case somebody was making fun of him or something. And I don't, so I, th- I thought that was really interesting, you know. Well, it's true. I mean, I feel like with a lot of great, talents in fashion and art, wherever you are, that not everybody loves being this thing they created. So he loved being Halston. That's that's why I think he was so famous. He loved it. He loved the character that he created and he loved playing it. And that's also what got him into trouble in terms of living that life and spending that money. And I have to have this and it has to be that, you know, everything has to be a certain way. And if it's not, then I'm not Halston. Um, Yeah. Anyway. How did it? How did you feel about him when you started, then, and uh, at Vanity Fair? Was it still at that point? Was he still? It was, was mythic. He of as it, being somebody who'd yeah, he was just more mythic in that kind of the look was so distinct. Uh, like you said, become you know the cigarette, the turtleneck that that was into instantly. Oh yeah, that's Halton, and it was all tied into mm-hmm. Studio Fifty Four and Warhol. Um, yeah. but, but in the nineties, you remember it was all the, it was the, like I said earlier, like Calvin Klein and Ralph Lauren, yeah. and they were still people that were appearing in, uh, page six or coming to the Vanity Fair Oscar party. They were still big names. Um, yeah. you know, Mark Jacobs was coming up as like the younger person and creating grunge and whatnot, but it was really that huge moment for fashion, I think. And then, or at least when I first kind of recognized it as something. And Halston was always lingering in the background as like the forefront of, like he was like the kind of, the first one that did that, where the perfume is everywhere, yeah. the brand affair, you know, he's doing airplane seats. And in a way, I, I think, I think you've said this in one of your, interviews or maybe I read it somewhere is he was the kind of the first influencer. It was like, I'm going mm. to show you, I'm going to make this airline seat chic. So you feel something when you're flying, even if you're flying in coach, you're going to feel like you're getting a part of Halston, right? So yeah, that yeah. is something that we live with every day now. But back then yeah. you think about it, it and it was, then, very, yeah. um, it was very, it was very novel. But he's also yeah. a monster. He was a monster, like a lot of them. You know, a lot of the people like tempers and and whatnot. Yeah. So he he was also notorious for that. I think I think that the other the other thing we explore in the series and that he would have had to deal with was this idea of like co- the arts and the commerce, which is what we I feel like you know in the movie world we were faced with all the time um, with the studios and money people and the, the, and then the creative people. And, you know, it's a difficult, sometimes it's a difficult meld. And it was certainly was for him too. You know, he was, he had all these um, business people coming up with ideas like socks. Okay. You've got to do a line of socks. You've got to do shoes. You've got to do handbags. You've got to do belts. And, and of course he was in one hand, it was making him very famous and it was making him very rich. And so he was all for that, but then he wasn't able to sort of, he wasn't able to to let anybody else actually do the work, the designing. He couldn't he couldn't do it. He could not put his name to something that he hadn't, you know. Even when it came to 
buttonholes or, you know, he had to decide on every single thing. And of course, he couldn't just keep up in the end. And then, of course, when Studio 54, during those days, when when he started really going out and, and um, living the life, you know, he just literally couldn't keep up anymore and uh, came in later and later and more and more hungover and um, found it all more and more uh, panic inducing, you know, mm-hmm. the whole, everybody waiting and waiting for all this, these lines that he could just couldn't get to. And I think that's, that was sort of like a downward spiral, I can mm-hmm. imagine. Do you do you look at clothes differently now? Like I know you learned to kind of drape you, you know, you had to actually get in into the work to be able to make it believable on screen. But do, do you yeah. do you look at something and kind of uh, or your daughters or anything already like look at it and be like, oh, and, and think about him? Is he still living with you in some way? I do. I do. I've got a couple of them. Um... You know the you know the tailor's dummies that they dra- you drape on. I've got some of them in my living room because I just think they're beautiful objects, you know. Um, and I would practice on them when I was getting ready to be Halston. I got I'd sewing machine. I have a sewing machine. I'd sort of practice sewing, and I just thought I should. I was worried that I didn't. I was worried that my hands wouldn't look like they knew what they were doing, and I, I thought that was a real worry. If it went, you know, we only had certain moments through the series where you see him draping, and um, you know, for all that's been written about him and speculated about him, the, the one thing that wasn't in dispute was that he was amazing when it came to draping, making clothes, dresses, you know. And so I thought, Christ, if I can't get that bit right, if my hands look like my Ewan's hands doing that, you know, <laughs> that could be really, that could be really where I come unstuck. So I just worked with Jerry Anna, our amazing costume designer, on those moments and you know there was three or four outfits that we actually see him sort of create and I just practiced and practiced and practiced to to do that and I, and that that sold it but also what sold it is all these great there's lots of footage of him fitting people fitting his models and that intense stare like over someone's shoulder that he's always standing behind this model but looking in the mirror and there was something amazingly Halston about that and I and and once I put those two things together I think it it sort of at least for me it made me feel like I knew I was doing a little bit Mm -hmm. um and I did look at clothes very differently I'm I'm probably not so much now because I haven't really been out much I don't I don't see people wearing I mean I don't see people in fancy clothes really (laughs) I haven't seen anyone in fancy clothes for a year and a half or something but certainly when we were in New York get ready to do it you know, we started in January last year and we shot. So we started before the pandemic hit and I'd walk around the shops in New York and I, yeah, you couldn't help but I just couldn't help but try and figure out how, how things actually went together. Like where's the seam or how is that? How many pieces of fabric is that? You know, I would be walking around definitely looking like that. And I certainly wore more clothes and more and more sort of fashion than I enjoyed that because I thought, well, I, I'm, I'm getting into this world. So I find myself dressing up even to go out to the, get a pint of milk. You know, I'd be in high fashion to go and do that. Fun. <laughs> well, uh, another thing that I enjoyed about the, the series was the relationships and particularly with Liza. Yeah. Um, and you really saw, you really brought his emotional vulnerability uh, 
you know, it was very palpable in some of those scenes. And obviously I'm thinking of the one with his mother, you know, when he's at the funeral in the end. But but I want to talk about the Liza because Liza and, and typical love <laughs> Ryan Murphy with the end credits. It's like this one died, this one died. And Liza Minnelli is still a legend and alive and well. Yeah. So what was that like when you met with her? Because it's a huge responsibility. This was her best friend. I mean, yeah. what was that like? Well, I wanted to meet... I, I... I tried to, I reached out to her through uh, agent, my agent and such to try and, I wanted to see her because I mainly wanted her to know that he was in safe hands with me that, um, cause I knew I could just, I just knew the importance of their, uh, their friendship. And I, I, I knew how important he is to her. Um, so I didn't go with, you know, a, a lot of things to ask her or, um, and when I did meet her, I, I, she asked me to keep our like our meeting private, like what we talked about, such private. So, and I've said to her that I would do that, and I so I have done. I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't sort of um, betray that trust. So, but but it was lovely to it was amazing to meet her, and all I can say is that I came away being absolutely you know reaffirmed that this was a huge friendship, a huge love that they had for each other. And that I knew that we were that we had to do it justice in the in the in the series that we were going to make, and um, with Krista Rodriguez who plays Eliza, I think we did. You know, I, I really, I, f- I felt like we, she did such an amazing job of of not trying to mimic, not trying to like do an impersonation of Liza, but just make her Liza, and and it, she was amazing. Like the first the first scene that we shot with Krista was her doing the number Liza with a Z. So we, you know, we shot the scene outside with me and David walking along the street, David Pitu walking along the street where he says, you've got to, you've got to come and see Liza. And then we went, then, you know, we moved indoors to this little sort of dinner club. Again, something we couldn't do today because there was like 300 extras in a very small room, no air. It was so hot and then fake cigarette smoke everywhere. And then Krista came out and, did Liza with a Z and just blew us all away. It was like unbelievable. So exciting to see her do that. And that was her first frames that she shot of the series. So um, I knew we were off to a good start and then and playing those lovely scenes afterwards where they're both a bit drunk and he's criticizing what she's wearing. And I, it was just an important part to the series and it's an important relationship really to play. And And, and from that first scene, to then months later, like literally months later, because we were sh- shut down from March to September. And then we picked shooting back up again in September to December. So it was really the whole Halston was just all of last year. Um, then playing those scenes at the very end, you know, when he's saying goodbye to her and when he's moving back to the West Coast and they're having their Thanksgiving turkey, I was just so sad. Like it felt really, felt the weight of it. And he says he'll come back, you know, and see her. But it was just that was another thing that fascinated me about him is uh, that he created this and lived this amazing, fabulous life, you know, jet setting to China and just spending lots of just spending lots of money and, cre- you know, the orchids and the all the things he needed around him to create, you know, to design, just living so grand. And then at the end, when he found out that he was sick when he uh, when he was diagnosed with um, AIDS um he he said his goodbyes uh, to his friends in New York and he went back to the west coast to be close to his real family to his brother and 
um, his niece and and he and he bought a roll. I love he bought a Rolls Royce with cash, I think, in the West Coast. And and he he spent his last eighteen months just driving. You know, he had a driver and he was driven up and down the coast, just sitting looking out the window and having dinners with his. I think he still he still sort of curated them. He had everyone those family dinners. You know, everyone had to wear red or everyone had to wear white or you know. So he was still sort of enjoying his enjoying life but with his real family you know and um i thought that was really interesting at the end uh, that he was sort of able to step away mm-hmm. kind of fade this. fade but not fade like go go back it's yeah. interesting not have not it, live, well, live that out in in new york no like what was important to him in the end i guess was to, and I, listen all of this is my what i imagine uh, i don't i don't know Halston I like to think I do but I of course I never met him and I don't know I don't know but I but I so I'm only speculating but I I imagine that's what that's what was important for him at the end was and he was it's a sort of courage to be able to go okay I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep trying to get my name back and I'm not going to keep trying to do this thing I know I'm sick I'm gonna go back to be with my family and he was able to do it Did, is there a particular scene that you enjoyed most or were most terrified of, of shooting? I was sort of scared of the, I was, I was very scared of the ang, you know, the temper scenes because I, because I felt so sort of, um, I was scared if the balance wasn't right or if it didn't, if you didn't understand his temper somehow through me, um, that it would just look like he was a bit, like he was just a, a monster or something and and I met people who th- thought that he was you know I met some people that worked with him who, who who didn't have such kind things to say about him which was which was difficult and interesting but um I felt like I wanted to understand you know when when it came to playing them I always sort of felt like I, like I understood him you know and often he was screaming at business you know businessy money type people you know which is quite fucking fair play, fair play to him, really. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true. It, it's true. Um, it is funny. It's like he did. It was like he turned on a dime, and it was always that uh, around yeah. his. If his vision was being challenged in any way, or he felt felt yes. any of that. Um, the, the hardest one, I have to say, of all which just wasn't nice to play was the one where with Joe Eula, with David, when he, when he, when he mm. sort of burns that bridge and he just, he just accuses Joe Eula of being talentless and living in his shadow because that's where he belongs. And, oh my God, it was uh, the way David played that scene. I hadn't quite uh, imagined um, it would be so difficult to do because it was like, really like I was hurting him, you know, as we were playing the scene every time we, every take, um, the words I had to say looked like they were really hurting him, and it was horrible. To, it was it was it was amazing in terms of um, two actors on set, you know, creating this moment. But at the same time, it was quite painful to do. And then we were lucky because we were uh, shooting wise. We came back to do the, our last few scenes later, so we we did get to make up again, you know, on screen. He's a wonderful actor. I loved working with David so much. Yeah. Well, you. You've certainly had a lot of sex scenes in your 25-year career, and this series certainly has a lot of sex scenes in it. Um, You've also played characters of different sexual um, orientation before as well. Um, 
But what has been different about shooting this in 2020? What was different about it now as opposed to when you did it before? The nature of shooting sex scenes is different now because they're, thank goodness, more, uh, um, they're more, there's a safety aspect in them, if you like, or there's a intimacy coordinator who who exists. There's a role, like a, a person's job, to sort of direct the intimate intimate scenes with the director. And uh, it's, it's a go-between between the director and the actors, if you like. And it's just, a, it's just like a, makes it much more comfortable because everything's discussed properly beforehand. And in the past, it used to be a little bit like, everyone was a bit embarrassed about it. And the, the actors are going to be naked and it's, it's a bit embarrassing. So the directors tend to, tend, would tend to just go, well, I just, just see what happens. And so, you know, both the actors wouldn't quite know what was going to happen. And that can lead to one or other or both of the actors feeling uncomfortable about it. And then often being in a position where they're not able to say anything about it because they're upset and they don't want to appear difficult and they don't want to be, they don't want to stop the machine from moving forward. And and then, you know, there's lots of instances where people have looked back later going, Oh, I didn't, that wasn't, I didn't like that. So um, I feel like nowadays it's a much, it's much better. It's a much safer sort of environment for everybody concerned. And it's a great, it's just great to have somebody there whose job it is to be totally embarrassless about these situations. Go, okay, if he puts his hand here, is that okay? And you go, yeah, that's fine. Have him put his hand there. And, or, or you're maybe in a rehearsal situation, but you know, you can speak to that person on your own or on set or, and there's just, everyone knows what's going to happen before it happens. And, you know, nobody should be put in a position where the director's sort of, asks for something more on set in front of the crew. You know what I mean? It's amazing that that job never existed. I mean, I know Hollywood in theory is a very young industry, but it is kind of amazing with the amount of movie sex that does happen that there was never, that it's taken until like basically now to get get that to have happen, you know, to have someone actually uh, choreograph it. It's just much better. It's much better all around. It really is. And also it's just like, you know, then you're creating, then you're doing something. You don't, you don't, you don't not have any idea of what you're going to do in a scene before you go into it. So why should you, because it's a sex scene, you know, it should be all understood. And, um, and then the other part of it with Halston was, you know, his, his sex life was, was rather private. And, um, and I, there was a part of me that worried that, that I wasn't doing him justice by making it unprivate by you know, showing it to the world. So that was something I sort of wrestled with a little bit. I mean, Halston is a sort of particular, he liked to, he liked to pay for sex. He liked um, sort of a quick transactional situation in his flat. He would go out for dinner and go home. Someone would come over, they'd have sex and they would leave and he would go to sleep. And there was something that suited him about that. And, um, but it was very private, you know, I don't think he was. Di- I don't think he was discussing it with the people he worked with. You know, I don't know, but I don't think he was. And I felt like in our series we were making it very private. That so I uh, we were making it very public. And I felt a little bit like sort of wrestled with it a little bit because I thought, well, that's he might not like that. You know, and I often thought about him at the monitor just enjoying what we were doing. I often thought about him sort of looking over Dan's shoulder, going, "Oh yeah, this is great." You know, we're when we're recreating different moments of his life, his great, fabulous life, I think he might have really liked it, but I didn't know about that side of it. 
But and then again, I thought, well, we are telling the story of the man, and so this is part of who he is. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and it was done well. And Dan Dan had a, such a beautiful take on all of it, always. So mm-hmm. well, I want to talk about you a little bit right now. So you're 50. I don't know how yeah. we got so old, but we are. I mean, we're not. We're old, young, and young old, right? Um, <laughs> how, how does that happen? You have grown daughters, one of which I met, I can't, like, before the pandemic or she came to an event. I was like, so excited to meet oh. her. Uh, and I was just like, how is this even happening? And I completely saw your face on, on oh. her. But she's an improved version of you, totally gorgeous. Uh, gorgeous, Clara. definitely. Yes. Um, Clara, yeah, yeah, my eldest, yeah. yeah gorgeous yeah, girl. Done. So it's just like this funny and I, and I was knowing that I was going to be talking to you again and you, know, I always love speaking to you. And I feel like we've like talked to each other all along the way here um, for a many number of years. It's like 20 years since Moulin Rouge, you know, it's been, I can't believe it's been 11 years since the beginners. Now you're back being Obi-Wan Kenobi, my favorite character in Star Wars. I'm so excited about that. And I know I probably said that word in like a Lucas helicopters above this uh, studio in Hollywood. <laughs> so I'm yeah. even a little scared that I said that out loud. But you've done all of this stuff and you've been different in every one of these uh, roles. You play Jesus and Satan, another one of those small films I loved that mm. was in Sundance. You know, you when you go when you look back is when you look back at this, or I'm forcing you to look back, do you feel like at the time you were, there was a plan of this, or you just look back and kind of, it was one step at a time, and then before you know it, you know, you've amassed this incredibly diverse career with with every genre. I mean, we have horror, we have sci-fi, we have small independent romance, we have a rom-com, you know, you're singing, it's musical, all of it. You've done all of it. Uh. Yeah, well, that's nice. That, uh, first of all, your question's great. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no question. Um, I just am talking about you, but I want to get I liked it. it. Yeah. I liked it a lot. So I don't know. Uh, I'm uh, first of all, I feel really lucky, uh, lucky, 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 because I because I think this is what I wanted out of, of my career. You know, if you could have asked me when I was at drama school, and it's funny because I've just sadly sadly because of the loss of somebody i was at drama school with 30 years ago it's brought me and my my college my drama school friends who were in my year of drama school in london all back together again and we're we're now on you know whatsapp pages and group chats and whatever and we're it's so interesting for the soul to go back like to be to be, be in touch with all these people again uh from when i was 18, 19, and 20 years old, just starting out on, on um, trying to become an actor. And now, 30 years later, being one and still being one, I'm, it has made me look, sort of reflect on it a little bit more than I might normally do. And then also I'm shooting Star Wars right now. I'm shooting the series that we're that we're doing and have been for the last three months. So that's, of course, going back to a character that's been so important for my career and that I think I started shooting in the late 90s yeah the first one was in in 96 or something that makes you reflect you know um and I just I just feel lucky really I could I, I think this is what I really wanted it to be I wanted to be able to do 
I just remember being really arrogant and just saying when I was young, you know, all I want to do important work and work that matters, you know, and all these people going, oh, I, I remember speaking to when I was, when I left home at 16, I was working in this theater backstage in this theater as part of the stage hands. And there was professional actors there. And I remember speaking to some young actors there just about adverts and they were trying to get this advert. And I'd be like, I'd never do an advert. <laughs> Look at me like, it was this 16 year old spotty kid. Like, who the fuck do you think you are? And I was like, I wouldn't, I would never do an advert. And of course I've done many adverts now. So, um, but I, but I remember feeling like I just wanted to do important stuff, you know, and I feel like I, I've, I've been able to make films that have mattered to a lot of people and do lots of big films and small films and plays and TV series. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I just, I couldn't have hoped, I couldn't have hoped for any better really. And I still love it. I still love like try. I still don't seem to deal with it any differently. I still get really nervous before a star. I really, every time I think I'm not going to be able to do that. This is the character I won't be able to pull, pull off. I want, this is the one that's going to, end it all and I still have that fear all the time you know but maybe that's just part of I've sort of maybe more at peace with that's my process like two <laughs> weeks before a start date on anything I'm a bit of a nightmare you know to be around <laughs> well one of the questions I'm asking everybody in um this season is about fear and you talked about fear a little bit uh uh, and we all have this fear that's just been permeating our lives with with the the virus and COVID and the outbreaks and now a new new version of it. And obviously, you just welcomed um, a child into this world again. So now you, which is by the way, congratulations! Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm so Thank happy you. a son. This is very exciting. There's a boy mom home, yeah. of two. Yeah. It's great. I love that. But you know, yeah. when you have children, obviously you just worry from the second. You know you from the second you know they're coming to, you know, you never stop worrying them the rest of your life. But for you, how, what's your relationship with fear these days? I certainly feel like um, I'm not out of the lockdown. Like I didn't come out of it. I don't, I don't, I'm working obviously. So I'm going to work every day and I'm, I'm we, we're really like still pretty much in lockdown here. And also, yeah, with our new son, our baby, and we're just, we're just, um, not going out much anyway. So I suppose I'm like, I'm not, re I'm still afraid of the situation and how we're going to come out of it. And are, and, and are we going to come out of it well? And, um, is, or is it, it seems here in America that it's sort of further tearing the country apart, not just the, the virus, but how, but people's attitude towards it and masks and vaccines. And it's just baffling to me. I just, I'm baffled, you know, mm. Um, why it's a why it's a political thing? I don't understand mm -hmm. why why it's become that, and that scares me. I think that because that's really that's really scary. The because I'm not sure how how that plays out ultimately. I don't mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. how do we find the, the sort of middle ground again. I don't mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. but I am at the same time always have been a very optimistic person, and um, I uh, yeah I feel like I feel like we'll we'll be all, we'll all be all right. All right. Well, I have one last question for you. Okay. And that is, and this is another one I ask everybody, what is your advice for those people struggling in the creative field, whether they're young or whether they're mid-age or they're older? Because you've had ups and downs. You have a glorious career, but not all of it was highs. A lot of it was lows. You know, you had, um, you've had a real life within that career. So what, what advice would you have for, for others and kind of where to put their energies? 
I think putting your energy in the work and the create, if you're a creative person and you're putting your energies in the creative side of that work, that leads, that can lead to satisfaction. You know, you can go home at the end of the day, feeling like you, you creatively did your best shot. If you're, if you're trying to create a um, career or trying to manage fame or your your energies are going towards that side of things i think it doesn't you know you you don't doesn't lead to huge happiness or satisfaction so um and you're right it's there's been ups and downs and um at times when you feel hot and times when you don't and uh times when the scripts are coming in and times when they're not so much you know and and uh i guess when when it's not when it, when you're not on the t- top of a wave it can feel a bit scary um but i think that look you know i just just focusing on the work and and that's it you know i can't think of anything else it's difficult isn't it because everyone's so unique and and they think that creative people are so unique and every actor is different and every director is different and everyone's coming at it from a different perspective and with different experience and um so it is all quite unique, you know. It's a difficult thing to give people advice. I, I tend not to bother, you know, because <laughs> I don't know, don't know why I should have anything interesting to say to somebody. So, but uh, but I but my focus is generally speaking. What served me well is like trying not to bother about all the stuff that comes around my work, but thinking about the actual work. Mm. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us here today and being a guest. I really appreciate it. Um, and I always like to see what, what, how you're focusing on the work and, and what you're doing next. And I will certainly be watching Obi-Wan. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, I think it'll and, be fun. I, I think it's going to be, I, I think people are going to like it. I, I, I'm very happy with it. All right, Greg. Well, you were great in Halston. I love seeing you in that too. So all of it, all of it is good. I'm, I stand with you and no surprise there. It's so nice to see you again. Likewise. Likewise. Thanks so much, Ewan. Thanks so much for joining me. Halston is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.